people love helping people and it makes them feel good too. So us asking, asking for help allows them to feel good for helping us. And then this helps us feel better as well. So it's, it's a weird dynamic that people have this issue for asking for help, but the more I've done it over this last couple of years, you know, the more success I've gotten and the better I feel about who I am. Welcome everyone to do well and do good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to introduce to you today's guest, my friend, Steve Arneson. In 2015, Steve co-founded a real estate investment and education company called The Reinvestors that specializes in educating people on how to build recession-proof portfolios. In less than three years, The Reinvestors have partnered to acquire millions in high-return real estate assets and have educated thousands of people on how to properly invest in any real estate market. Now, if this is sounding familiar to you as a longtime listener, that's because way back on episode 26, I interviewed Steve's co-founder, Randy Molland. Now, what I have come to understand about these two in the time that I've known them is that they truly approach their business from a place of service and generosity. That mindset of giving shines through not only in the way that they treat their clients, but also through their support of nonprofits like Kidsport Victoria, which helps underprivileged kids to get involved in organized sports. In this episode, Steve and I talk a bit about real estate and how he got involved in that industry. But what I'm especially grateful for is the second half of this interview, where Steve opens up about a much more vulnerable topic. We actually talk about his experience with depression, and he shares what helped him to get through that and some thoughts that I believe are truly transformational for any of you listening who are either going through or have been through that sort of darkness. Now, when I said that Steve has a mindset of giving, that is going to be abundantly clear to you when at the end of this episode, Steve actually offers his personal help to any of you listening who may be going through depression. Steve is just an absolutely phenomenal entrepreneur, phenomenal human, and even better friend. And I just couldn't be more excited for you to get to know him as well. So with that, Here's my conversation with Steve Arneson. Steve, I'm absolutely thrilled to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, Dorothy. I'm so glad to be here. I'm listening to that bio. I was like, is this me? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. So hard to see ourselves clearly when you have someone else uh, talking about it. It's like, whoa, that is me. I love it. Well, let's dive into your story. You know, what was life like for you growing up? And talk to me about some of the beliefs around money and success that were instilled in you growing up. Growing up, I'm a West Coast kid. Um, I'm 31 now. And I was born in a beautiful place called Victoria, British Columbia. It's just the best place on earth. I've, I've traveled to 29 different countries. And every time I get back off the plane, in YYJ, I'm just like, I take a big breath from the like mountain ocean air. I'm just like, ah, oh, it was so good to be back. 
And so like, uh, I, I grew up in sports, divorced parents when I was two, which was really challenging for me. And it's just, you know, as I've kind of dipped my toes and dug more into personal growth and development, there's a lot of rocks that I've had to turn over from, from past trauma um, related to the divorce. But I was a bit of a loner as a kid. You know, I, uh, my release was, was sport. And so uh, that's where I put a lot of my attention and focus. My grades kind of hurt, but I was one of the best uh, athletics in, in uh, whatever school I went to. And um, a lot of my family was in, involved in, in real estate at one level or another. And that's what kind of dragged me into what I do now. So how did you first get bit by the real estate bug? Yeah. Uh, well, the very first bite would have been when I was really young. Uh, so my mom, uh, we basically kind of like did live-in flips. And so we'd buy a place, you know, rehab it over years while we're living it, and then you know, sell it for a profit, move on to the next one three to five years later. And so doing this, I got a small kind of, you know, I got used to working with tools. And on weekends, my mom would literally drag me from open house to open house to open house. And we'd look at, you know, kitchen designs and, you know, landscaping things. And just, you know, my mom was sitting there, oh, we can move this here and do this here. And like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And as an eight-year-old dude, I was like, get me out of here. Just like put me on the basketball court and, <laughs> and let me have some fun. But so that would be the first bite. But the real first like uh, meal of real estate came when I was 24. Bought my first condo, which was a live-in flip, best part of town. It was in 2012. So uh, here in in Western Canada, that was pretty much like the very bottom of the market um, after the recession of you know seven, eight, and nine. And it was just like because it was the best. Uh, you know, the number one rule in real estate is location, location, location. And so the best location in town, um, got a really good deal on it. And I knew that over time, real estate goes up. So all I had to do was a little bit of elbow grease and just sit on it. And you know that uh, in Victoria, we our market appreciates pretty well. So got in and out of that in six years and did really well on it. And it really catapulted me into where I'm today. And then that, you know, the rehab work there really gave me, um, you know, a good experience with how to work with contractors because before with my family, like, yeah, I'd, you know, hit nails and screw screws. But uh, this was just completely me. It was my project. And so I learned a lot with, you know, how to... I learned a lot on mistakes with working with contractors and with buying stuff at Home Depot and all the stuff through the process. And then uh, we created the company in 2005. You know, one of your past guests, Randy, and one of my longtime buddies. We've been buddies for like 11 years. Again, there's a common theme here. He dragged me to a, <laughs> a real estate like guru kind of weekend thing where, you know, it's free to come for the two hours and they sell you to the weekend package and they sell you to like the big kind of like big ticket item because, you know, him and I, whenever we would get together with all the rest of our friends, we'd be off in the corner, you know, chatting real estate about, you know, I'm looking at this, I think this can work and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I thought it'd be good to go learn something from this weekend event. And on day one, I was like, it was, it was all talking about using other people's money through a form of joint venture partnerships. And I was like, no friggin' way is some random person going to give me a hundred grand or more to partner on a property where we do all the work and they sit back and we split the profits 50, 50. I was like, Randy, this is a friggin' scam. Like let's grow up. <laughs> and then, uh, by day two, I was like, man, they worked through all the details and you know, there was a bunch of Q and A interaction with the 400 people uh, in the room and there's a lot of people putting up their hands for like, yes, I would be the joint venture partner who has the money, gives it to somebody else, 
just to sit back and collect returns without doing any work. And that's kind of when the light bulb moment went off. It was like, hey, we can actually turn this into a, a decent business model. And, and since then, we've done dozens of different deals and, and uh, started off with, with single family homes, uh, jumped into some small multifamilies, some large apartments, and then uh, some development projects too. Yeah. So, well, I want to go into that a little bit because for anyone listening to whom, you know, they might have that same reaction that you had at first of, you know, well, that's too good to be true. You know, the ability to get into real estate without having all of that startup capital. So could you talk me through, you know, like what one of your early deals looked like or just kind of in real world, um, you know, real world sense, like how it actually works to use, you know, OPM, other people's money to get involved in real estate and do your first couple deals. Yeah, you bet. I'll tell you, I'll tell you too. But before I do that, I think the, I was going to rewind real quick. So we jumped into the weekend thing, which was like a thousand bucks. And then they upsold us into this um, network of investors across Canada. And it's a, it's a company called Keyspire. And so we invested $20,000 to be a part of this network of investors. And then we did about two or three months of just like analyzing deals. And we felt like we were stuck in just this analysis paralysis, as they call it. So we invested another 10 grand into a mentor. And it was our mentor that gave us like the look over the shoulder and the, the thumbs up on all the analysis that we were doing. And that really gave us the confidence. And he gave us the push to go and actually make offers, talk to investors, and you know, get our first couple of deals done. And so our very first deal, Randy went on title with the investor and he moved into the property. So when you move into the property, you can go with a CMHC, as they call it up here, um, insured mortgage, and um, we can put 5% down instead of your typical home purchase, uh, which is 20 So in the United States, that would be similar to like an FHA loan where if you're going to live in the property, you can you know, have very little money down. Exactly. And so the way we structured it, we said, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Investor, you know, because we're putting less money down, you have less money involved in the deal. So instead of putting you know, 120, we can put 40 into it. And as even more incentive, Randy's actually going to live in the property, going to pay rent, and then going to manage the tenants who are going to be in the upstairs suite. And so he'll be paying rent, the upstairs will be paying rent. You're going to have in-home care from you know, Randy being the manager of, of, the, of the building. And then it's actually going to cash flow as well. So the three things that we look for when we calculate deals are your cash flow, your appreciation, and your recapture of the mortgage. And those combined give you uh, your total return for, for real estate investing when we're doing it in our model with buy and hold. And so Randy moved into the property. It went great. It was a turnkey property. So no work needed to be done to it. Um, we had maybe two turnovers over the few years that we owned the building. But it was, we live in a very low, make, uh, low vacancy market. And so it was very easy to, to get new great tenants um, in. Uh, the property cash flowed like a dream. And our investors were really happy when we sold it a few, few years later for a really good return on their investment. That was our very first deal. And one thing I want to highlight about it was we had very, very low risk into it. And so instead of putting 20% down and risking 120 grand, the investor only had to put 40% down, uh, sorry, $40,000 down. Uh, at 5%. And so there's, there was very little risk on that end. And that's a really great way to start dipping your toes into joint venture partnering when you're working partners like us. You know, How did you get in contact with this investor? Was it through that group that you'd invested in? Uh, that was one of the ways. So um, with this group that we invested in, it was basically like a Facebook for investors. And you kind of get divvied out into three different um, 
brackets or titles. And so you'd like your working partners like us, where you're finding the property, you're managing the property, you're doing all the ten turnovers and looping out dirty laundry when the washers break and that kind of stuff. And then you were either a contractor to work with the with the different partners, or you are what they call a money partner, somebody who just wants to have a passive investment, sit back, you know, go on title, qualify for the property, and then just get the passive income coming back. And so it was like a Facebook in the sense that we could search contractors or working partners or money partners, and we can connect with anybody across Canada and say, you know, this is the deal that we're looking at. You know, are you interested in something along these lines? And then to take it one step further, um, we actually started a real estate investing meetup here in Victoria. And there was a couple going on at the time, but they weren't very educational based. There were there was two that I can think of. And one was, you know, the old boys club where they sat there with their scotches and their martinis and whatnot and be like, oh, my yacht's doing this today. And then the other one was really kind of basic. And we wanted something that was, you know, higher energy, really involved and very educational based. And so when we started this, we reached out to the Keyspire members that were here in Victoria and we said, you know, we're going to do this every month. We're going to do a presentation and educate you on someone and we're going to bring in a professional in their space related to real estate investing, and they're going to do a presentation. So your lawyers, your accountants, your mortgage brokers, your developers, your real estate agents, etc. So we got to be at the front of the stage, people that us as an authority, because we were bringing in all these badass experts in the real estate field. And then we got to network with all these badasses too, because we were providing value for them to grow their business. So it was really this kind of trifecta of almost branding for us uh, to start this meetup. And then what happened is we started building some momentum. So it started off with like 10 or 12 people in the back of a restaurant. That grew to 20 people in a boardroom. That grew to 30 people in a, in a conference room. And now we're doing like 60, 70, 80 people events. And we're bringing newbies in, teaching them all the basics. You know, Some people have primary residence, teaching them how to leverage the equity in their home to go and build their portfolio. Other people um, might already have you know two or three investments, but want to learn how to get 10. And so through that, we're, we're helping everybody at different stages, as well as connecting with, with you know, money partners for us to invest into to high return assets. So that's how we, we got in front of uh, our first few investors. And, and they started to see how we operate. You know, they started to understand that we're, we're, you know, we're working and hustling, and we're trying to be experts in our field. And they basically just invested in us because they trusted and knew and liked us. And then just verified the deal that you know, we weren't jumping into something outrageous. And uh, because they, they trusted us, um, we have a, a really good relationship with our investors. And uh, it was that meetup that kind of catapulted us into to working with more and more people. Yeah. I love that you bring up trust because really with real estate, uh, it's, it's just like anything else. It's building relationships, right? And you know, finding people who you, know, you can create this mutually beneficial type of partnership that's going to you know, work on both ends. Because you know, whereas you know, someone new coming into real estate might not have money, but they do have a lot of time and a lot of hustle and you know, the willingness to put in that work. And you know, there are investors on the other side who don't want to do the work. You know, they just want to you know, be able to create some, some passive income, some cash flow. And so when you can bring those two sides together, you know, I think just like you said, it creates a great opportunity for people to get involved in this industry that historically the mindset has been that it's you know, really only for the wealthier people who are coming into it with that kind of cash. So you, you mentioned that there were two deals you wanted to talk about. What was the second one? Yeah, the second one was um, a lot of people in our space or, or newbies have heard of the Burr method, which is buy, rehab, uh, rent, refinance, and repeat. So we did that where we bought 
a, a five plex just out of downtown, did a massive renovation to it. And then we went back to the bank because we didn't have any mortgage on it because we, we, uh, we bought it cash. We took the value from say a million to you know a million four. And now the bank's going to give us 80% of that million four instead of the original one. And so because we, we did such an extensive renovation to it, we boosted the value you know, $400,000. And with this particular model, we were able to get 95% of our investors' money back out. And so he's got very little money involved in the deal. And the deal, the property itself cash flows quite well. So the Burr method is a really great strategy when you can walk in there, identify that there's you know, a lot of value add to be done, do that value, uh, value add, and then uh, get your money back out and working for you on your next property and your next property and your next property. So it's a great tool to scale. And um, we've done that a couple of times now with, with some properties here in Victoria. So are you paying the investor back? And then you know, once he has his money plus interest or whatever, you, know, you guys are able to capture that cash flow? Yeah, exactly. So typically what will happen is like the, the investor will have some money involved in the deal, whether we do a Burr method or just buy straight out if it's a turnkey property. And then when we're doing payouts, typically what we'll do is we'll do quarterly payouts. So we'll analyze the property, we'll bring in you know, three or four months worth of rent, and then we'll, we'll make sure that we don't need any cash for the next you know, kind of quarter. And then we'll, we'll divvy our, our, our cash flow profits out. But when we're selling a property or refinancing the property, the first thing that gets paid out is the mortgage, the loan to the bank or to the lender. The second thing that gets paid out is any expense that the, that the investor still has in the deal, whether that be the initial down payment and costs or you know, a few thousand dollars for a new water tank or you know, maybe 20 grand for a roof that we had to do or, or whatever that is, completely pay out the investor. And then whatever is left over, that equals your profits and we'll split that profit. That absolutely makes sense. Well, I encourage anyone listening right now who wants to dive a little bit deeper into these questions around real estate to go back to episode 26, listen to my chat with Steve's co-founder, Randy Molland. Um, but Steve, you know, I want to sort of take this in a different direction because you know, one thing, as you and I have you know, really gotten to know each other over this year, you know, we've become friends, seen each other at uh, you know, various uh, events and masterminds and, and such. One thing that I have been really just, frankly, just very impressed with, um, with you is the fact that you are you know, very open you know, about some of the struggles in you know, not just being an entrepreneur, but, but being a human and, and how that really plays into um, you know, the way that we move throughout life and, and go after these goals. And, and so I want to touch on that a little bit because recently on social media, you've been very open specifically around your experience with depression. So I'm curious, you know, what inspired you to share that message and you know, what do you hope people take from it? What I'm realizing more and more as I share it more and more is that every time I share it, two things happen. One, I let a little bit more of it go. And letting that go continues to free me. It, it pushes me to new, to new levels and just creates space instead of for that trauma or that pain, creates uh, more space for opportunity and success. I kind of I see it as a, as a weight that I've been holding for so long. And as I continue to release that weight, I just become a little bit more free and, and open to, to who I truly, really am and what abilities I have to, to give back to the world. And then the second thing that happens is every time I've shared it, somebody has said, thank you. I needed that. Or know somebody who's gone through a, a, similar, um, a similar issue and you know maybe has lost somebody to suicide. Typically, with with men, is we're 
we're kind of, you know, raised and built to be strong and not necessarily emotionless, but to, to hide and suppress our emotion. And so a lot of this personal growth that I've been on the last couple of years, you know, I've become more aware to the suppression that I've done over the last you know, number of years, three years, and how to, how to release that suppression through communication and through you know, healthy forms of, of exercise and, and letting go of either resentment or anger or shame or embarrassment or anything like that. So, you know, Randy was a really big catalyst too for, for support and for, for pushing me to, to share my story and big shout out and thanks to him for, for the support and for the constant little elbow to, to get me going. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I guess inspired me to, to initially just get out there and, and get out of my comfort zone and, and share. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned just, you know, at the very beginning talking about your experience growing up, your, your parents got divorced and that had a massive impact on you. And, and, um, I know you and I have talked, um, you know, just, just personally about, um, you know, my family is going through divorce right now and, and you've been a big, big support to me. And so, you know, just talk a little bit, if you could, about, you know, how these, these really traumatic experiences as a child and then, you know, growing up and, and even as an adult, you know, how those shaped you and, and the impact that they've had on you and, you know, you as a person and, and as an entrepreneur and just what you've gone through in, in facing that and really bringing it out into the open. I think the biggest thing that's been a, a change. Uh, so when my parents divorced, they, they remarried um, quickly and to people who were, I thought a little opposite of who my mom and my dad are. In in one sense, this is this is not a dig or anything, but they're very kind of like uh, my way or the highway, and verbally unintentionally aggressive. But you know, stop, you're wrong, I'm right, move on. And so I think at a young age, um, I lost uh, a lot of my voice because every time I express something, or at times when I express something, you know, I got this resistance automatically from like, no, you're wrong, I'm right, my way or the highway kind of thing. This is how it's done. I was, I was always kind of like the quiet, happy kid that always either had a mask on or just did his own thing. And so I think a lot of that came from the lack of communication that I had, you know, through my youth. And then over these last couple of years, as I've started to communicate with my family about um, how the divorce impacted me and talking to, you know, loved ones and, and friends about my past experiences and such, you know, I've started to really find a lot more of my, I guess, true voice and what I'm really passionate about. And I've really focused hard on my communication over this last probably year. And I've just seen leaps and bounds of growth with everybody I'm connected to. Yourself, for example, we've, we've shared stories. Um, my girlfriend, you know, we're on a whole new level now than what we were a year ago because of me just opening up and being more comfortable with being uncomfortable because communication was never a strong suit for me because I felt like it was it was suppressed at a young age, you know, it's all this new learning curve for me. And so, you know, opening up about that and being like, you know, Rebecca, my girlfriend, this is, this is going to be a journey for me. This isn't something I can just like flick, flick a switch and be a excellent communicator with, with you for the rest of my life. I'm going to have to like, I'm asking for some patience here a little bit, maybe with some guidance and some support and some help and, you know, no judgment kind of thing um, so that I can develop my skill of communicating and, you know, as we develop this communication, our relationship and my relationship with my parents and with my friends and you know, people like yourself, who's a friend and colleague and I admire, we just, because of the communication, we, we continue to build a stronger relationship. So that's been a, a massive piece for me that I've, that I've come to accept and, and I continue to work on. How do you think that 
those efforts that you put into, you know, learning how to communicate, you know, whether it be on a, on a personal level with your girlfriend or with family or, or whatnot, do you see the crossover effect on that in your business and in other areas of your life? Yeah. Oh, wow. In massive ways. Where do I start? Definitely with Randy as a partner. So we first started off as just friends. We, we've known each other for 11 years, like I mentioned earlier. And then jumping into this bond of partnership, you know, it becomes a lot more about business than friendship. And so we lacked, not luck, we, we lost a lot of communication stuff over the first year or two. You know, a lot of that friend stuff, that, that heart-to-heart um, chatter. And just kind of focused a lot on the business side of things. And with that, you know, came different judgments of like, oh, you're not executing on this. And he's like, no, you're not executing on that. So there's this, you know, wee bit of, of resentment that started to fester at times. And, and it would just, you know, end up kind of bubbling up and then surfacing the way nobody wants it to surface. And so we've, we've worked really hard on communication this last year. And, um, you know, being more open to, Feedback is, is a big one. You know, men typically have a big ego. And so feedback is, is always a challenge at times, but we've worked hard on that. And then we've actually integrated something that we learned from, I'll give Josh, uh, Joshua uh, a big shout out. Um, Fraser, he's from Thrive. You've probably met him once or twice. And uh, he, he gave us a tip that he works, um, that he does with his business, where every Friday we do just a feedback meeting. And so... Randy and I do this and we're like, Hey, let's do it in like a, a positive setting. We're both like sports um, fanatics. And so we go to the driving range, the golf range. We set up a, an hour first thing Friday morning and we go there and we talk about how we felt uh, about this last week of, of productivity. And so we give you, you know, we talk about our wins. We talk about some of the struggles that we're having individually. You know, we give each other some constructive feedback and that's been massive for us as friends, for us as business partners and for us through just managing a, a, a growing business, because there's a set kind of time for it, nothing ever festers anymore because we know if something happens tomorrow, Friday's coming up a couple of days down the road and we can, we can communicate it if it's not time to communicate now. So Randy's very like, I guess, shoot from the hip, like say it now. And I'm very analytical. Like I need to, I'm a slow learner at times. So I need to process it you know, figure out what it is that I'm feeling and, and how to communicate it and then deliver it. So just that, that Friday piece that we've integrated into our lives has been a massive change. And we've been so much more productive in our business uh, since we've done it too. Well, I think what's absolutely critical about what you said is, you know, the fact that it's planned, right? I mean, so often in professional relationships or in personal relationships, you know, it's very easy to just, you know, expect that, that these conversations are, are, going to just happen, you know, that, that will be forthcoming with, with feedback or, you know, have these hard conversations. But the reality is, is that unless you put aside space for those conversations to happen, they usually won't. Um, you know, it, it's, it's uncomfortable to, you know, talk about uncomfortable things. And so I think that the fact that you put that structure around it and, you know, created space in your week for, you know, you two to, you know, hold those kinds of conversations and to be able to come with those things so that they're not, you know, just weighing on you all week. You know, you know you're going to have that chance on Friday afternoon to air these concerns to be able to talk about it. It takes the pressure off you, you know, the rest of the time 
And it makes sure that you know you guys know that no matter what's going on, no matter how crazy that things get, that you're always going to have that time to to debrief and to come back to each other and you know really look critically at what's going on in the business. Yeah, something that uh, that I'm just thinking about now too that has really blossomed from this communication and you know can relate to real estate entrepreneurism, business relationships, whatever is because we've had to set time for open communication and constructive feedback we become a lot more comfortable with something that a lot of people struggle with, which is just asking for help. A lot of people have this you know, fence up, um, which is typically related to, to ego. And you don't want to look like inferior or that you don't know. And you know, there's that saying, which is you, just, you don't know what you don't know. And more people just need to accept that. And so as Randy and I have continued to, to have this kind of like vulnerable... But with true consciously from what awareness like point or level you act... So does that make sense? It absolutely does. And so, you know, in your experience working with entrepreneurs, you know, what are what are the changes that you, you know, tend to see happen in someone's business once they do, you know, go through this process of healing their inner child and reconnecting with their spiritual selves? So it doesn't really matter like almost every like person I work with, um, has some part that is unrecognized, like hasn't been seen and heard. And they did all the things because they thought that that's just something that needs fixing. Come to me because they, they want, they know that this next bigger evolution of work coming through and they want to step into that, but they don't know how to do that. And I always say, when you leave a part outside of, of the door, like you don't recognize that part. And that's, that's a part that is not seen and heard that part is sabotaging that you do. So as soon as I, I just speak to that part and I see it for what it is, there are tears flowing and there's like, you don't need to do really any more that because as soon as you do that and you feel the emotions and everything that's coming up with this, you ultimately step into bigger uh, awareness of, of what's coming next and you allow yourself to go after it and accept that this is meant for you and not just for some people. So whatever that is, um, you step into being the person um, that is acting on the things and steps that need to happen in order for the results to show up. Um, And that's a beautiful thing to see. And as I said, it doesn't really need a lot of time. So that happens in the first conversation when you like, of these things and I'm like oh, now that we've like taken that into the and it's like this part is done what do you really want right so and now we can add that and we can take conscious and focused and uh, laser focused actions in order to achieve that and then th- things happen really quickly so whatever that is in terms of because we, of course, we always need strategy. Sometimes you need to adjust your pros. You need to have a differentness of how these changes come about. Like you have to understand your craft more deeply in order for you to act on it. But you start to accept that all these things can happen much quicker than you thought that they could. So if, if you're like, 
I can't really sell like a 10,000 or a 20,000 program or a 50 or a 100 program. You're like, this is not only something that I can't do. This is something that I must do in order for me to act and be the person that is representing that bigger version of myself that ultimately impacts more people and can help more people because it's never just about the money. It's about you growing into the person and having the the resources, the financial resources that match that expansion so you have more choices and more freedom and more impact. It's remarkable how, you know, someone can be spinning their wheels for years, you know, at a standstill in their business, not able to grow, not able to really progress. And all it takes sometimes is, you know, just just that that experience of looking deep at yourself and figuring out, you know, what are those emotional wounds that that you need to heal and the way that you are able to do that for your clients and do it so quickly, you know, allowing them to break through these barriers that have potentially existed for a very very long time. It's really unbelievable and and I love that you touched too on the money mindset. Uh, you know, not feeling worthy of, um, you know, of charging those kinds of rates when really, just like you said, I mean, it so often is what is going to allow you to reach more people, help more people, and really have the impact on the world that you are looking to have. So, you know, I want to, you know, wrap up here by asking you, I mean, what, what do you see as being the biggest shift that most entrepreneurs need to make in terms of their mindset around money or their relationship with money? That's a good question because I wouldn't actually still talk about set and money and more about the freedom of choice and impact. And the biggest shift really is understanding that this is not about you. This is about the change that needs to happen globally that needs lots of financial resources in order for that to happen. And if you don't understand that and you're like, and I'm going after this and this is place in the evolution, then you are going to feel unfulfilled and you suffer because this is ultimately your calling. Otherwise, you wouldn't even think about it. If you have the thought coming up in your mind, it's because this is the direction you need to go. And we don't have the time um, for like you or any other person, not specifically talking about you, but like whoever is listening to this, to doubt yourself and then like spinning your wheels for the five years before you allow yourself to be like, and I'm charging that I'm worth receiving that money so you need to really understand what the bigger picture is and what your role and position is in, in that and you need so sold and convinced on that you can deliver the transformation that your clients are paying for in the time that you say that you're going to deliver the transformation so you need to understand what you're doing really really well there is no other way around charging those figures and actually making the sales. And that that's not a thing that takes years. When I take my client through those processes, like they ask me, every person, every person asks, how quickly can I start like doing this and this and whatever their next bigger vision is? I'm like, well, 
if you want to postpone any longer than your choice, but we're going to get you ready in like two weeks. And that's ultimately when like all the temptations and all the things and all the whatever obstacles that you've kind of came to believe come up anyways. And you need to always decide again and again and again. This is the direction I'm going and this is why. And this is why I'm so brilliant at what I'm doing and keep going. And then these changes happen really quickly. But um, it is uncomfortable, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I think that all real meaningful change is uncomfortable. And the fact that you are able to you know, help your clients get these results so quickly, it speaks to the fact that you are really going to the core of the issue rather than, you know, so often when entrepreneurs try to, you know, figure out these struggles on their own, they'll just address the symptoms in their business rather than addressing the actual cause. And so, you know, Tabita, I want to thank you for sharing this. I mean, it's it's unbelievably powerful. And I know that my listeners are are certainly getting as much out of this as I am. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. So I'd like to um, I'd like to ask you a question that I ask all of my guests. As you know, here on the show, we have what I call the do well and do good challenge. So this is where I encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by my guests. So I'm very excited to hear your answer to this question. Could you tell us what organization you're nominating and why? So um, we have just set up our own foundation here. So that's like literally where I give all my money to and and so that, which is ultimately um, helping children really fulfill their potential and grow as a person and being recognized with the potential that they have. Like all my teachings and the things that I do, and the other cause that we support is like getting um, key animals a loving home. So that's for me kind of the important thing because they don't have a voice like animals don't have a voice at all and kids don't have a voice because they are not out right so that's for me kind of where i'm going yeah what did you say that organization is called um it's a funny name that's like a swiss kind of thing um something that's kind of um inside thing in my family called stubi foundation well, we will absolutely link to that in the show notes so that anyone who does wish to donate can go do so. And lastly, Tabita, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about your services, coaching entrepreneurs, and to follow everything that you're doing? So the best place right now would be the art of the evolutionary entrepreneur.com. That's where all the things that we are doing uh, we're always evolving but um, that's the best way to find me amazing well we will link there the art of the evolutionary entrepreneur.com in the show notes as well Tabita, I just can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast, for being so vulnerable and you know sharing your story in a way that I know is going to be transformative for many of our listeners. I appreciate it so much. Thank you, Dorothy. It was a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm truly humbled and honored because I think that your message and everything that you're sharing and doing 
that you understand and be like, this is not just about you doing well, this is about doing well. So I really appreciate that. And that's like exactly the change and the message that we need. So thank you for being part of this and doing what you're doing. Oh, I appreciate that so much. All right, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to introduce any new listeners to how the Do Well and Do Good Challenge works. There are two ways that you can participate. The first is if you are looking to do more to give back, I encourage you to contribute to any of the nonprofits nominated by my guests. Send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co and your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. The second way you can participate is absolutely free and that's by voting. See, in the first couple days of each month, we host a vote inside of our free Facebook community to determine which of the nonprofits nominated the month before that I will then donate a portion of my advertising agency's profits to. It's an awesome way to make your voice heard, and we've been able to raise money for some incredible organizations doing good in the world. So if you'd like to be a part of it, then head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, where you'll find a link to join the group. Once you're inside, I'm also sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. We're having so much fun inside there. So head over again to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, and I'll see you on the inside. It means the world to me to earn your time. So thank you so much for listening. 